Welcome to Full Body Frequency, the one-hour weekly show that celebrates everything full-bodied and fabulous. I'm Laura Rice, cultural curator, fashion designer, and your guide through the Full Body Frequency experience. This is the current through which we will explore the truths and explode the myths about the lives and loves of plus-size women. Since our lives shouldn't depend on how others see us, neither will this show. On today's Full Body Frequency, we continue our focus on springing forward. This time, we're taking it on the road and across the globe. That's right, we're preparing for vacation. From the French Quarter in New Orleans to Carnival in Brazil and Trinidad Tobago, exploring centuries-old cathedrals in Ethiopia to shopping in Paris. We're talking the best plus-size and cultural heritage travel and tourism. Joining me in the flow is Tony Harrell, travel advisor and owner of Abundant Travel, a travel agency which specializes in guiding travelers to some of the best and most plus-size friendly destinations in the U.S. and Canada. He'll talk New Orleans, Las Vegas, San Antonio, and Hawaii. He'll explain why travel agents are your best travel accessory and share what you need to know to travel in comfort and in style. Richard Honeywell, an historian and the owner of African Journeys, shares his top international and domestic travel picks. Want to attend Carnival but don't know which one to choose? And yes, there's more than one. Do you want to visit ancient religious shrines in Ethiopia? Or maybe you want to connect the dots between the European slave trade and the Caribbean in, of all places, Amsterdam. We'll change frequencies with Tarshell Beards, our resident world traveler. She and I will talk about our adventures of traveling while fat, including what to wear, what items you must bring, and how to be large and in charge of making your next vacation great. It's Full Body Frequency, visible, viable, voluptuous radio. I can make an impact in the world. Young people think that we can't make a difference, but sometimes we can make the biggest difference. You just have to find something that you're passionate about and use your talents and your abilities to volunteer. Volunteering doesn't have to be a chore. There is no better feeling than helping somebody else. You can see one person smile. It can really open up your heart to new things. See a need and change the world. Are you a young volunteer making a difference? Apply for the Prudential Spirit of Community Award. Visit spirit.prudential.com. Joining me now is Tony Harrell, a 10-year veteran of the travel industry. He is the owner of Abundant Travel, an agency specializing in meeting the needs of plus-size travelers. He is a destination specialist with the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, the Canada Tourism Commission, and is a certified accessible travel advocate for special needs groups. Harrell has been actively involved with the size acceptance community for 15 years. He is a national board member of NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, and serves as the organization's Washington, D.C. chapter president. Tony Harrell, welcome to Full Body Frequency, and congratulations on the recent article on abundant travel in the Daily Mail UK. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, and uh, it's great to be here with you. Wonderful. So now, why Abundant Travel, and what's the story behind your business? Well, I was inspired by my wife, who has been my girlfriend, along with others that we visited in our travel to uh, size-friendly social events. They shared their stories about the challenges of, of traveling as a plus-size person. And as I already worked in another area of the travel industry, I uh, saw an opportunity to fill an underserved niche by 
being a resource that people could feel comfortable talking to and would understand their needs. Now, what were some of the needs that these folks had? And, and by these folks, I mean plus-size travelers. Anywhere from, from finding uh, the proper, proper flights, finding a hotel that accommodated them, um, choosing a, a destination where they felt they would feel comfortable as a uh, traveler size. You know, unfortunately, their experiences were mostly in the negative. So, you know, I felt that was, I'll be someone that could uh, help them turn that into a positive. Share, elaborate on that. Share some of those experiences with us. Well, probably the most, most common situation had to do with uh, flights. Most people know flights are, or seating is getting smaller for most everyone as airlines try to squeeze in more revenue. I mean, I like to think I'm a average or a typical size person, and it's even come tight for me. So I know for my uh, bus size friends and clients who, who travel, um, it's difficult for them to fit in one seat if they haven't planned in advance to uh, purchase additional seating. They could show up at the airport and, and get into an awkward situation with the gate staff and then have to determine whether they have to buy additional seating on, on the spot, which they can sometimes charge at the uh, prevailing rate that day, or whether they have to be bumped to a future flight, which can be inconvenient, especially if uh, you have people waiting for you or you have a connecting flight. And, you know, these days, many of us forgo the use of travel agents and we try to book directly online or directly with the hotels, resorts, bed and breakfasts, and even Airbnb. So what are some of the advantages of traveling with the assistance of an agent, especially for plus-size travelers, beyond just the typical buying the airline ticket and maybe getting some seating accommodation in terms of uh, specific seating? And where would we typically want to sit as plus-size travelers to have a little bit more room? First, I'll talk about uh, people in general. You know, there's, there's, of course, there are people that enjoy researching the trips. I used to be one of them, of course, before I became a travel consultant. You know, they feel they can make the best choices for themselves. And sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Then there are those who are focused on what their friends said, you know, what the quote-unquote best price is, and, you know, they hope or assume things will work out for the best. What many of them come to realize is that destination or the hotel that they picked is not what they had expected or hoped for. Or they might give additional surprises such as flight cancellations, overbooked hotels, hidden resort fees that they didn't expect until they got to check in. And at that point, you know, they can't get any of their money back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so the situation can be uh, magnified even more for bus size travelers as, you know, different aspects of the experience that, that might turn out to be less accommodating or welcoming than they thought in terms of, uh, as we talked about before, seating on flights and hotel or size of the hotel rooms and just the general vibe of the uh, destination may not always be as welcoming to plus size travelers. Now, one of the things that actually happens seasonally is the cancellation of flights. How do you, as a travel agent, assist your clients with rebooking uh, not only flights, but if they're forced to find accommodations overnight to avoid being stranded at the airport? How does that work? There's two things I would do. First thing I would do is proactively, while we're when we're first uh, working together, is don't encourage them to buy travel insurance. In most cases, that will 
help them in terms of uh, securing a room overnight if their flight is canceled, reimbursing them for any extra expenses that, that they have to incur for reasons that were out of their control. Second thing I would do, most of my accommodations that I, that I reserve are done through what we call travel suppliers, mm-hmm. people who have uh, excellent relations with different hotel brands and even some smaller boutiques and B&Bs. And so I'm able to contact those supplier representatives and let them know, you know, my clients in this situation, their their flights been canceled or their hotels are booked, you know, what can we do to make this person happy? They will either contact the hotel or the airline themselves or otherwise help me in making the arrangements so the customer is happy because they, you know, these hotels and, and airlines appreciate these business that the travel suppliers bring them. So it's in their best interest to uh, uh, keep the clients happy because if the client's not happy, then the travel consultant's not happy. If the travel consultant's not happy, the supplier's not happy, and then the hotels uh, might find themselves without a, a supplier as a client in this business. So basically, you're leveraging your relationships in order to keep your customers and clients happy and traveling comfortably. Exactly. Great. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice, and joining me is Tony Harrell of Abundant Travel, a travel agency that specializes in meeting the needs of plus-size travelers. Although your agency can book anyone, practically anywhere he or she wants to go, Abundant Travel focuses on four main U.S. destinations. Share those and the specifics around why you've chosen them. How those four, my absolute two places to uh, promote our New Orleans and Las Vegas. And uh, in fact, not to shoot my own horn, but toot toot, <laughs> I am uh, designated as a destination specialist by uh, those cities' respective visitors' bureaus. Uh, regarding New Orleans, what I love about it, it's the overall the lack of obvious city, uh, the friendly people among the hospitality staff, few of any rubber rope sort of establishments, keeping it real. You know, their restaurants are, aren't exactly shy with their portions. But Las Vegas is it's just a, a fun place to go. It's so much more than off, to offer than uh, gambling these days. Uh, you got top-notch entertainment from headliners like Seinfeld, Celine Dion, Elton John, Cirque du Soleil performances, and even uh, up-and-comers that you might have seen on America's Got, America's got Talent. Hmm. The restaurant scene is hotter than ever. You've got relaxing pools and spas, and even natural beauty like Red Rock Canyon, even the Grand Canyon within... Uh, an hour to a few hours uh, from the strip to uh, check out. Nightclub scene is arguably the, the best in the world for those who want that over-the-top experience. Mm-hmm. But yet there's still uh, a lot of casual alternatives available as well. The hotels, even accounting for uh, a trend of uh, resort fees, are still a great value compared to similar quality in uh, other cities. Another destination that's perhaps a bit underrated is San Antonio, Texas. Of course, the city is known for the picturesque Riverwalk area, and the history of the Alamo. But the city is also known for having one of the highest percentages of uh, plus-size residents. Mm. Now, I know for some people that might be a negative statistic, but I like to flip that around to say that it actually makes San Antonio a place where a plus-size traveler can blend in more of a crowd. Wow. Okay. And, yeah. Then there's Hawaii. I mean, I don't really have to explain how exotic and beautiful Hawaii is. <laughs> but uh, what people may not realize is that its strong Polynesian influence is a... Uh, highly accepting of its own plus-size Hawaiian citizens. So once you step off that long plane ride, you can feel pretty assured that uh, you'll be welcomed. Hmm. And you say welcome in, what was it, aloha? Aloha, my Definitely plus-size aloha people, right? 
So before we go too much further, I do want to step back because there's one thing that you've mentioned before to me. And it's basically that for young plus size travelers looking to hit the Vegas Strip, party and pop bottles, you know, at any number of hot but highly selective nightclubs, what's your best advice for securing admission? First thing I would recommend to anyone going to the Trinity or Vegas nightclubs is, regardless of their size, is not, not to just show up in the regular queue or even accept so-called VIP passes from vendors off the street. Mm. Odds are high that you'll be in a, a very long line or in the regular queue or the not quite as long line in a so-called VIP queue and uh, it can end up being a long night where you might your chances of getting in are definitely aren't guaranteed. For plus-size guests in particular, can be even tougher, even for women who who clubs would normally want to uh, greatly outnumber the men. Keeping it real again, the ideal female customer for these clubs usually possesses a dress size in the single digits to low teens. So, but I, I say if you want to guarantee admission to a top Vegas nightclub, reserving a table for bottle service is the best way to do it. It won't be inexpensive. The, the minimum spend required often starts at thousand dollars, two thousand dollars and up. Wow. But yeah. But if you're splitting between like five or six people, you're probably spending about what you expect to uh put out for a nice evening. Okay. Not to mention that it gives you a rare place to sit. As uh, even if you're wearing flats, you you're probably gonna want a place to rest every now and then, especially if you're actually dancing. Well you may be able to reach out to clubs directly to arrange your table reservations. Travel consultants such as myself often have uh, host connections that can provide other menus, including limo service, to and from the venue, and concierges that will walk you into the club and over to your table. Excellent. Excellent. This is great information. Again, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice and talking with Abundant Traveler's owner, Tony Harrell, a plus-size travel and lifestyle advocate. So what are your top five tips for traveling abundantly. My first tip, do you think you might need additional plane seating? It's better to prepare for and if necessary, invest in it in advance. Um, there's some cases where that might not necessarily need a second seat. I'm always happy to discuss with my clients uh, how they can avoid that. Okay. Another tip I would have is that even if you don't think you need an accessible hotel room, may sometimes be worth choosing one for the extra space, particularly in the bathroom. My third tip, I know some people like to reserve a hotel far away from the action, figuring they'll save a lot of money, but what they tend to find out is that reserving a hotel that far away ends up costing more than they expected, actually even more than they would have spent at a more central location once you consider the time and money that you spend traveling in between. Mm, okay. Number four? Number four, if you're a I guess this is Vegas related. If you're a first-time Vegas visitor, don't feel like you need to visit every resort. There's some resorts that are that I would definitely recommend checking out just to sightsee. Unless you're looking for specific amenities, your feet will definitely get tired, and many of the resorts start to blend together. Ah, okay. I guess with the tip number five, this might sound like heresy, and New Orleans tourist board might, might kill me for saying this, but you plan to spend your time in New Orleans, primarily hanging out on Bourbon Street, don't go during Mardi Gras. That is um, heresy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, why do you say that? I mean, it's a, it's a once-a-lifetime 
uh, experience. But I guess for me, I mean, I understand people want to just hang out, hang out on Bourbon Street, uh, catch bees, and do some semi-naughty things that they might not necessarily uh, do at home. But for me, beyond there's so much more to Mardi Gras beyond that. Plenty of parades that go on for several weeks beforehand, particularly the last week or so, that are, are fun to watch. And just other events going on that are well beyond Bourbon Street. But if you're envisioning spending most of your time uh, hurricane drinks, you can basically go to New Orleans any time of the year. And it's just it's just just as active, a little bit, um, actually a much better value in, in most cases. And uh, even a, even a Tuesday night in New Orleans can be more fun than a lot of other places. So, and there's basically actually to be honest. There's almost some sort of festival or celebration in New Orleans. It seems like almost every week. So, if you're looking for an excuse to go, there will always be something interesting going on. Wonderful, Tony Harrell of Abundant Travel. Thank you so much for joining Full Body Frequency. For more information about Tony Harrell and Abundant Travel, including the recent Daily Mail UK article, head on over to the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. We'll be right back with Richard Honeywell. His company, African Journeys, offers exciting opportunities for global cultural heritage tourism. Stay tuned. Listening to Full Body Frequency. Grab your passports, get those visas, and prepare to head across the U.S. and over any number of ponds with African Journeys' Richard Honeywell. Honeywell was born and raised in Rio Abajo, a black Caribbean community in Panama. He migrated to the U.S. in 1974, where he's called Brooklyn home for over 40 years. He has a master's in divinity from Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School and is an educator and teaches the African presence in the Bible via lectures and workshops. Since 2006, Honeywell has organized tours to Ethiopia focused on the country's incredible history, culture, and religions. He recently founded African Journeys in order to better connect those scattered throughout Africa and its diaspora. Richard Honeywell, congratulations on the recent USA Today article, and thank you again for joining Full Body Frequency. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be interviewed with you guys, have this conversation. Now, because you're a scholar and a historian, traveling mm-hmm. on one of African Journeys tours must be an exciting departure from traditional tourism. So, one, what is cultural tourism? What sparked your interest in cultural tourism? And how long have you traveled as a cultural heritage tourist and from tourist to tour leader? And now you're a business owner. So what was that process like? Yeah, that, that's a whole lot going on there. Yeah. Um. I define cultural heritage tourism as the experience of being able to feel, taste, experience the African diaspora at the ground level. It's more than just being able to see some historical sites, monuments, statues, etc. It's getting in there with the people throughout the diaspora. So for me, 
is placing the emphasis on traveling to certain African diasporic destinations at times when there are festivals, at times when there's special national events taking place, whether that's in Africa, whether it's in Europe, Latin America, the Caribbean, and being able to be there to experience what our people have created mm. in terms of their life, their culture, etc. The food, the music, the dance. Think Ethiopia. We think poverty. We think, uh, we think uh, famine. We think destitution. Let me tell you, there are five-star hotels in Addis. There are spas in Addis. There are shopping centers. There are museums. I mean, everything we've got here, they've got it over there. We just don't see those images. You know, we just don't see it. And so my opportunity to travel there every year since 0506 has allowed me the opportunity to see this phenomenal country um, growing and expanding and transforming into the uh, jewel that it was during the days of Emperor Selassie. And it's, and it's back. It's really, really back. When you go to Ethiopia, you get off that airplane at the airport, at Bole International Airport, you're standing on the soil of the one African country that was never colonized. Mm. Uh, it was occupied briefly by the British and Italians, twice by the Italians, but never colonized. In fact, they just celebrated just two days ago the Battle of Adwa, in which uh, Emperor Menelik and his wife, phenomenal sister Taitu, Empress Taitu, repelled the Italians out for the first time, and then it happened again during the days of Emperor Selassie. Only country not colonized uh, in an African soil. You're standing on the soil of a country that is basically the birthplace of human civilization, with at least three to 5,000 years worth of continuous culture and history. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church dates back to 325 AD. Christianity has been present in North Africa, going back that far, at least a full 1,200 years before it is misintroduced to us on the West Coast through European uh, imperialism, slavery, and colonialism. So when you see the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, or, ex or rather experience them at their best during the uh, Timcat celebration or Christmas, which is in January, or the Mescal celebration in September, you're witnessing you know, a church, an African church, you know, in their own indigenous ways. They've got their own customs, their own way of doing things. I, I love it. I love it. One of the things that I emphasize as much as I can on our tours is to kind of, to put it this way, it's take me and take us where you hang out with your people. Over and against the already set up, programmed tourist track that many departments of ministry and tourism will set up of what they think we want to see and experience, having traveled before and having gone back to some of those places on my own, uh, separate from a tour group, being able to meet folks there, locals, who know where things are happening and where the best food is found, you know, where the hangout spot, et cetera, what's the best beach to go to when this party happens. Uh, who to talk to about this or that. That's what we specialize in doing as much as we can. So the heritage piece is that there are those of us who have still have a very serious interest 
in our history, in our culture, the realization that we are survivors, that we're scattered, Europe, Latin America, the Caribbean, Asia, for that matter, uh, Africa as well, and that, um, you know, we want to make those connections. And it happened better when, it's, when at least we do our best to plan it in a way that when you come back, whether it was a $500 trip or a $3,500 trip, it was worth the time mm. when you were there. You come back feeling like you made a connection with your people. You didn't feel like a tourist tourist. You went there and you felt like you were home and you were well received by the folks who were there on the other side. So basically, we're traveling with you, but we're traveling locally and traveling intimately with this experience. Yes, that's, that's, that's the other way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's, I think it's the best way to put it. It comes from, the, from my experience of, um, of having done it before, having traveled both as a tourist, uh, myself, and then going back on my own and realize, okay, if I brought folks back to Ethiopia, to Addis Ababa, knowing who they are and what our interests are, what would we want to see and experience? And so I had to communicate that to the tour guides on the other end, mm, okay. which meant a complete revamping of the, tour gu- of the tour plan in some cases. You know, we may start with a particular plan. Then I said, okay, now that we're done seeing the statue, now where else do we go from here? Can we, can we do a walking tour of a historic community? Because they weren't thinking about that. Mm-hmm. But again, they were following a particular syllabus, if you will. So we had to amend the syllabus. And it turned out to be better in that respect. And it's also kind of contextual because you really get a sense of being able to really feel and know the people. On one particular trip that I did some time ago, I chance to have a friend who owns a uh, textile shop in Addis. She makes some of the best that you can find in Addis Ababa. And I said, well, listen, I got some friends here with me who've come from New York. Can we hang out at your spot? She had us picked up and we went to her house. She had stories of her mother who went back to the days of Emperor Haile Selassie and that whole experience going from the way the country was back in those days, which is very different from what it is today. But it was nice to hear that from somebody who lived through, those tra- through that transition mm. as well. Mm-hmm rather than standing in a museum and looking at some photos. Here you're, t- you're speaking to someone who lived through it. Now, that's an invaluable experience. Again, you're traveling or living as a local, but doing right. it very intimately. And you, you, can't, you can't buy that <laughs> through most tourists. <laughs> you just can't. It's about personal connections, one-on-one connections. I just want to let people know that you are offering a trip to Ethiopia so they can experience living locally and living intimately with the people of Mm -hmm. Ethiopia. Tell us a little bit about that trip that's coming up. This trip that is coming up and doing, I've been organizing tours to Ethiopia since 2006 annually for Timcat, which is in January, Mescal in September. And now this is my first trip being done in the spring. We're going to visit Addis, the capital city, Aksum to the north, Lalibela in the north, uh, come back to Addis and do a trip to Sheshamani and Hawassa in the central region. Aksum is known for being the home of Makeda, Queen of Ethiopia, less than half a mile away from her remnants, the remnants of one of her summer homes that have been uncovered there. 
is the mayor of Zion Cathedral, whose chapel houses the remnants of the Ark of the Covenant, going back to the times of King Solomon. Quarter mile away from there is a set of obelisks, which date back to another Ethiopian civilization, dates back some 3,000 years. Lalibela, which is about a 45-minute flight away, is where you have the rock-hewn churches that were basically carved out by masons, stone masons, back in the 11th century, believed to have been done with the aid of angels, as the Ethiopian legend goes. When we come back down to Sheshamani now, Sheshamani is, is land that was set aside by Emperor Selassie in the early 70s, set aside for repatriating Africans who wanted to go back to Africa and it's been set up there. It has primarily been worked on and developed by Rastafarians mm. out of Jamaica and the Caribbean mm-hmm. who emigrated, or rather repatriated, back to Africa, to Ethiopia, and set up shop there, and have created a fantastic uh, community there in Sheshamani. And then Hawassa to the south was the emperor's former playground, uh, and it's down by the um, Lake Langano region. It is a phenomenal trip. I put this itinerary together for the first time back in 2010, 2011. Great experience of going to the north, which is a very different terrain and different history altogether, and then driving, doing that road trip to the south and seeing the the lush changes in vegetation uh, and communities that you drive by along the way. Every person I've taken to Ethiopia, and it's been over 200 people since 2006, have always come back Mm. with a sense of being transformed by the experience. Got groups going back next January and September once again to experience it and learn it. And there's a sense of pride, you know, that that you're overtaken by when you just stand there and see this in, in all of its glory. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice, and my guest is Richard Honeywell of African Journeys, a cultural heritage tour company. So now we've talked a little bit about Ethiopia, but what Mm -hmm. other specific geographic areas of cultural heritage tourism does African Journeys focus on and why? I began with Ethiopia from 2005, did that annually still to this point since 2005. Friends were asking me all along to do other destinations, I decided, well, you know, let's go ahead and just create an Afro-diasporic company, emphasizing um, travel to Africa, the African diaspora in Europe, the African diaspora in the Americas, Canada, U.S., Central America, South America, the Caribbean, and by way of some other research that I've done and some histor- historians I've come across, like Dr. Ronoko Rashidi, uh, there's an African presence in Asia as well, Vietnam, China, um, Australia, and uh, Japan. They, but what we've begun is with a tour to Amsterdam. I was grateful to connect there with a sister named Jennifer Tosh, who is from Suriname. Mm. And she owns the only black-owned heritage company, tour company in Amsterdam, doing phenomenal work in that city. So we connected there in Amsterdam. I've connected with some other folks in Madrid who are connecting me with tours to Toledo, 
Toledo, Granada, and Seville, where there's a African Moorish presence and legacy. You mean yes. Toledo, Spain. You mean Granada, Toledo, Spain. Spain. Not Toledo, okay. Ohio. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, Toledo, Spain, Toledo, Seville, and Granada are cities that were occupied by North African Moors dating back to 600 A.D. for some 600 years and uh, left monumental impression, both in terms of music, food, language, art, architecture. All of that stuff still survives in those cities to this day. There's a rich black Parisian legacy and heritage with both African-Americans dating back to World War I and Africans who've migrated from Senegal and uh, Senegal and some other North African countries as well. And of course, it's Brazil. Everybody wants to go to Brazil. Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize is that there's also Barranquilla and uh, Bogota and Cali in Colombia. There's also Panama right next door to Colombia and Costa Rica right behind it. We're aware of Marcus Garvey's work in Harlem and how global it was. What we're not aware of is that Marcus Garvey's office, his UNIA work, began in Colón City in Panama and also in Limón, Costa Rica, before coming up to the United States. And those buildings, those freedom halls where he gave his speeches are still standing to this day. So in addition to identifying where do we begin, where do we begin, Amsterdam, Bahia, Paris, London, Gullah Geechee land in South Carolina, uh, Panama, and realizing as well there's a lot of education that has to go along with that. For instance, the Latin American piece. I don't have to educate folks a whole lot, per se, on Brazil, on Bahia. We know a lot about that, though there's still stuff to teach. But to make Panama live, some educational work is required there because the only thing we know when we talk about Panama is a canal. Mm-hmm, right. We're not aware of that rich legacy of Africans who were brought from the 15th century who are still there and the other folks who were brought from the Caribbean to work in the canal and are still there and what they have created uh, over the past five, 600 years of their presence in Panama. So we made a decision to become diasporic in that respect. You're listening to Full Body Frequency, and we're talking cultural heritage tourism with African Journeys owner Richard Honeywell. After this break, we'll be right back. More American Indians live in poverty than any other racial or ethnic group. Since 1989, the American Indian College Fund has helped thousands of young men and women begin a path out of poverty as students at tribal colleges. As more American Indians see a college education as a way out of poverty, full-time college enrollment continues to rise, along with a continued need for support. Help a student, help a tribe. Learn more at tribalcollege.org. A public service message from the American Indian College Fund. Full Body Frequency is back, and we're talking global connections and exploring heritage. With us today is Richard Honeywell of African Journeys. Before break, we were talking about Latin Mm -hmm. America and our connections there. So one one of the things that you and I have discussed previously the possibilities of Carnival in numerous places. So many people think it's just Brazil Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it's just Trinidad, Tobago, but it's not. Right. Share with us. No, no, no. Carnival is a 
African celebration uh, born up out of our, actually, I would say predates slavery in the Caribbean and Latin America, and particularly those countries that have a Catholic experience because it, it, it is primarily found in cities and or countries of a Catholic background, which is very, very interesting. It's found in Puerto Rico. It is, it is part of the Dominican experience. It is in Haiti. It is in Panama. It's in Costa Rica. It is found in Barbados as well, the Bahamas, Bermuda, Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, in addition to, of course, Brazil. And it happens at the same time. It is always that weekend that precedes Ash Wednesday. From that Friday through that Tuesday night, and then everybody gets holy again <laughs> on Wednesday. <laughs> all that stuff that we do, all that debauchery between Friday and Tuesday, and we become saints all over again on Wednesday. But it is found throughout the diaspora. And the beauty of it is that it is not the same from one place to the other. While it's one mass celebration for those four days, it is a totally different experience from one place to the other, uh, just as our cultures are, you know. Uh, who we mixed up with, where we ended up, gives flavor to what it's like there. So you have one particular dominant group, ethnic group in Bahia. You have another ethnic group that got left behind in Haiti. You have a different ethnic group in Puerto Rico, another ethnic group in, in, in uh, Dominican Republic and Panama. They brought their culture to it. So deciding which one to go to or where to begin, I would say it all depends on one, budget, because the destinations are different. Uh, I believe that uh, Bahia would be the most expensive at the moment, although that's re still relative. And that's primarily because Bahia, when it comes to um, its international attention for Carnival, and it's kind of gotten the lion's share of the attention. Right. So it's a hot spot at that time of the year for Bahia. So the airfare ends up being a little bit more than the other destinations. You gotta have so you gotta be in good health. You gotta be energetic. It doesn't make any sense to go to any of these countries, to Panama, to Trinidad, to Barbados, to Bahia for Carnival. And you're just gonna watch this parade one time and then go hang out at the beach. Right. For the right. next three, four days. That doesn't make any sense. It's a party. Mm -hmm. It's one big party for four days. One of the things that stands out is the way in which certain African customs have survived through those costumes. Sadly, the main image that is projected, for instance, out of Brazil and Trinidad, are the sisters in the songs and the G-strings and the feathers. Mm -hmm. and when you, but when you get over there, you realize there's more to it than that. There's a whole lot more to it than that. These fantastic, glorious costumes and, and designs, and then there's the music and the competitions and this, that, the other, that you just don't see projected over there. So you don't really have a clue what you're going to experience when you get over there and all of what you'll witness and see as well and realize that Africa has survived in many ways throughout the diaspora. And one of those times when it comes out shining is during Carnival. Absolutely. And that actually reminds me of Mardi Gras in New Orleans and the black Indians and the care and the detail that goes into the costumes there. 
people mask exactly. and parade, you know, leading up exactly. to Mardi Gras and on Mardi Gras Day. Well, there's so much to learn from you and so much to see with you. And we're going to have you back after you return from your trip to Ethiopia. For more information on Richard Honeywell and the recent article about African Journey's cultural heritage tours in USA Today, be sure to visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. While you're there, don't forget to like us. Carnival is color, carnival is jam, carnival is when Trini woman protect a man. When them Yankee girl come from New York with their fancy, fancy, fancy dog. Trinidadian man does want to spend just to friend with them. You hear them say shake, shake, shake for carnival. If you hear them shake, shake, shake for carnival, we come out to party, we come out to will. We don't want nobody telling me. Full Body Frequency is back. If you've just tuned in, I'm Laura Rice. Joining me now is Tarshell Beards, Full Body Frequency's resident world traveler. She's a librarian, activist, makeup maven, and the creator of the Onyx Beauty blog. Tarshell, thanks again for agreeing to join in the Reindeer Games. So before we begin, what do clothes, feminine care products, medication, and backup currency have in common? Clothes that travel. That's right. And we don't leave home without them. And for international travel, you might want to make sure you bring copies of your passport and visas, which you can store in your hotel room safe. And depending on where you're traveling, and Tarsha, I know you've had some experience with this, bring some extra tissue and or toilet paper for those bathroom visits. Yes. Yeah. It does depend on where you're traveling, too. Absolutely. I have had some experience with uh, that in Cuba, and you... When I went to Africa, you never know and if you're in a remote place uh, whether there will be especially toilet tissue or an older bathroom or facility that you have to use. So just always have your hand sanitizer and some extra paper with you or some wipes. So you and I have read a number of blogs and articles about traveling while fat or full-figured, and several of those articles included negative flying while fat experiences. And some of mm-hmm. those experiences included being fat-shamed by seatmates, being afraid to ask for seatbelt extenders, having to squeeze into smaller airplane seats, or having to pay for an additional seat. What have been your best airline, airline travel experiences? I don't know that there's a best. <laughs> I mean, unless you can fly first class, I don't know that there's a best airline experience, I think that you have to decide what works for you in terms of comfort. But for me, I like to fly, if I can afford it, if it's a flight over three to four hours, um, United Plus, or if I'm on another airline, just upgrade to have more leg room. So that I'm more comfortable than when I'm in coach. When I do fly coach, I do like to sit near the window. Um, That's just my preference. But, you know, I'm just one that thinks that airline travel is not really comfortable. It's just sort of a necessary evil. But the longer your flight, the more you should consider an upgrade for for room and for space. Now, do you ever fly on low travel days uh, to ensure that you get that window seat? Or do you fly on low travel days for lower airfares or both? Or is that even important to you? It's important, but I try to get the best deal. But there are times when you just need to fly on a certain day. So if if my trip, if I'm able to fly low travel day, I will. 
Okay. Um, but if not, I do try to always get the window seat. That's my preference. Or in the aisle. I never want to sit in the middle. But um, the low travel days are definitely doable if you need, you know, like Tuesday is one or if you fly back on a Saturday. If you're able to do that, you should do that. And there's a possibility that, you know, someone may not be sitting next to you so you have a little bit more room Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of the blogs focus on the fact that thin people don't want to be bothered to sit by fat people or plus size people. But the reality Mm -hmm. is that most plus size people don't want to sit next to you either. So like smaller people, we like to have the space to recline and spread out. Everyone on the plane looks a little crunched up and crowded these days, especially in coach. So I mean, unless you can fly first class. What I don't understand is the embarrassment around asking for seatbelt extenders. Forget the embarrassment. It really is a safety issue. And I'm not exactly sure why flight attendants don't just give them out on site. I wonder if they figure they're going to embarrass the plus size person. What's been your experience? I think that all airline uh, flight attendants wait for the person to ask. Um, I think that they probably would offend people or people. So I don't know if that's the answer to um, the the extender. I have, uh, there are certain airlines where I need one and certain airlines where I don't. And because I travel a lot, I know, you know, those airlines and I don't need to say them on the air. But there was one time where I asked for one and the flight attendant was really funny about it. Like the way she gave it to me was almost like a drug deal. Like, okay, here, you know. And I wasn't really embarrassed. It's just like it couldn't fit. And that, so I need an extender. But I think that that's it. It's just sort of um, people are embarrassed. Sometimes I think it's the person who's fat and then they're having to ask in front of someone else and other, other passengers. And then on the flip side, I think that, it probably would offend people to just hand them out. So the policy is to wait for someone to ask. But the other thing I want people to know is that you don't have to be this hugely obese person to need an extender. I mean, it's just those airline seats were made so long ago, and they really are tiny. They're they're not a normal size seat. It's it's an airplane. So if you need one, just ask for it. Don't be embarrassed. I understand that a lot of airlines, to cut costs and to pack more folks in, the seats are actually getting smaller, especially recently. Mm -hmm. So that's something Mm -hmm. to consider as well. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask for those seatbelt extenders. I will share one experience that I had flying that was not really embarrassing, but I was hoping for an upgrade. So an airline attendant said, oh, you look like Oprah Winfrey. And I guess that's what happens when you're female flying in black. But (laughs) unfortunately, I did not get an upgrade. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, well, if I look like her, give me an upgrade. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'm Laura Rice, and joining me today is blogger Tarshell Beards, and she is Full Body Frequency's resident world traveler. And today we're talking travel and the plus-size woman. So, Tarshell, what's your travel uniform? If I'm traveling five days or less, my goal is to have carry-on only. So, you know, avoid baggage fees. And also I have a policy now that I incorporated years ago after traveling to Paris with way too much stuff that I need to travel with what I can carry. So so that being said, I like to wear comfy pants and a top. And usually it's a long sleeve T-shirt or something similar or V-neck sweater or something and some sort of pants with stretch. Sometimes it's jeans, sometimes not. I find that jeans can be a little tight or whatever. Shoes that I can slip on and off with no shoestrings, and I will wear maybe some stud earrings, but very little jewelry because going through security is really the issue with your uniform. You want to get in and get out. 
And I have seen people wear way too much stuff, going through security, holding up the line, beeping, you know, depending on the airport you're in, you, you know, you need to be able to get out of your shoes quickly, get on and get out, get to your flight. And so th- that's pretty much it. I, I go for total comfort. If it's the summertime, I may wear a, like a long maxi dress, but total comfort and then warmth when you're on a flight. Because if it's winter or summer, it's going to be a little chilly. So I always have a scarf and sort of a cardigan type of sweater with me as well. One of the things that I also do, and I don't know if you've tried this, but compression stockings, I wear those to prevent blood clots, in particular if I'm on a long flight. I have not, but I have seen that. I have have heard about them and, and heard that we should, especially, like you said, if you're on a long flight, if you're going overseas, you should consider it. And if you don't, um, you should certainly get up and move around the plane. So I think that's another thing for plus-size women to consider. It's like, you know, they don't want to walk through that, but you should. You should get up and go to the bathroom and walk around and stretch and not sit for, for a long flight. You and I have spoken about, uh, in terms of our travels, is the tremendous inconvenience of leaving important items of clothing at home and or if you lose your luggage and not being able to replace clothing because the city or country you're in doesn't have readily accessible plus-size clothing. While the challenge of finding plus-size clothes in major European cities has changed over the last five years, you can shop everything from fast fashion outlets like H&M, some department stores, and even high-end boutiques like Marina Rinaldi. But again, there still are some major issues in other countries. I was in Cuba, for example, and I could have done very little to replace my clothing due to the dearth of plus-size apparel on the, on the island. Most of the clothing is donated from other countries, and what's made on the island is primarily for smaller bodies. And yes, there are plus-size women of all ages in Cuba, and, and they are in need of heat and style-appropriate clothing. But long story short, my luggage arrived fine. I did overpack. I did wash and wear a number of items several times. And because there's so little clothing for plus-size women on the island, I left some, some of my clean and gently used clothes in my hotel room for someone to take advantage of. So have you ever left an important item of clothing at home? And if so, how did that impact your trip? I did. Um, I went to Miami this summer and forgot my bathing suit. And uh, one, once I realized that, I knew, I was like, the, the gift shop, you know, so I was at a resort type of place. I was like, oh, I'll check the gift shop just in case they have something. But, of course, they didn't. I think the largest size bathing suit they had was like a 10. Um, so it, it, you must pack and be you must pack what you need when you travel because the reality is is that if you're not in the United States and you're not probably going to find a place where you can shop or that's really easy and in my case I was far away from actual downtown Miami so I wasn't able to just run out to a Macy's or some department store where I know had plus size section so my best friend wound up sending me um, a bathing suit so um, overnight express and so that I can enjoy my trip but for the most part, I try to travel with whatever I need unless I'm going to New York City or right. someplace where I know I'll probably do some shopping and there's maybe an availability of plus-size options. But for the most part, I tend to travel with what I need. It's a smart thing to do. Are there any vacation experiences that you regret not taking advantage of? Not 
really. I think I'm pretty open when I travel, especially when I was younger. Maybe now that I'm older, I'm a little less adventurous. You know, I'm not going to go whitewater rafting now. But there was a time <laughs> when I did it. And, you know, I didn't care. I was like, okay, let me do this. And then once I fell off the raft, I was like, why am I doing this? Or, yeah, I've had some crazy, <laughs> crazy travels. So this is a part of travel is to really experience it wherever you are. I'm in the mountains in Jamaica, the Blue Mountain hiking. But now that I'm older, I'm probably a little less adventurous. I want to go to the spa. I want to chill out. <laughs> I'm not going out on the water far with strange people on a boat that could sink. But, you know, I've done all of that. So I, I don't have any regrets. <laughs> well, that's good. That's really good. So speaking of vacation experiences, let's talk vacation romance. So have you ever indulged in vacation romance? Sure. I think that is part of the experience is that there is a likelihood that you might meet someone when you're on vacation. And and I have met men throughout my travels and had great party experiences and fun with them. And I think you should be open to that, open to the maybe not to having a relationship with this person, but just open to the time that you spend with them, just like anyone else you meet. Also, I've met friends on vacation on my first trip to Paris. The woman, a woman sat behind me. She, we started getting up and walking around around the same time, and so we're still friends to this day. And that's the fun part about travel, too, is really who you meet. Especially if you're solo, you're traveling solo, you should be open to it. In terms of men and dating, um, you know, I, my advice would be go for it. Just be careful, depending on where you are, you know, how you get around or that kind of thing. But I've certainly had my experiences. Again, some of those experiences are when I was much younger and, you know, I'm hopping in cabs with <laughs> men I don't know in Jamaica. But I did it. I'm still alive. <laughs> so, um, but it was fun, you know, and I think you should be open to that. Guys for romance, meet women for romance, and um, also you know, really uh, make friends when you're on vacation because you'll meet people from all over the world. Absolutely. It's not about staying in your little tourist area. It's about Mm -hmm. reaching out and being with the folks who live in the place that you're traveling. So let's share our top three tips for managing expectations in order to have a full-figured and fabulous vacation. So mine are learn about the local culture and if traveling to a country where English isn't the primary language, learn some helpful phrases before you get there and carry a phrase book with you. So that's number one. Number two is take advantage of once in a lifetime opportunities. I remember that I had the opportunity to have dinner with some of Pablo Picasso's half brothers and sisters and their kids actually in Havana. And because I was sick, I wasn't able to make it. And I absolutely regret that. And Mm -hmm. my last one, if you're on a trip, specifically a tour or with friends, make sure you have some me time. You have to explore. You want to mix and mingle with the locals again at galleries or music events or dining or relaxing. You can spend a night out by yourself. That's a great way to enjoy your own company. Okay. Um, I don't think mine's are that deep. Maybe <laughs> I do agree with me time because I've taken tours and I've also taken trips with lots of women and I have needed that time by myself to do the things that I wanted to do. Not always be with a group. You know, you go to dinner with a group and all 15 of you guys have to order and it takes forever to get your meals. It gets a little tiring after a while. Um, some of the things that I, some tips I like to do is I think be open. So there's always this, let me create this itinerary 
before I go, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to see this, I want to see that. And I think you should be flexible when you travel, especially when you travel overseas. I like to get out and about, depending on who I'm traveling, I have friends who like to get out, be out from 8 a.m. in the morning to, to midnight, trying to see everything. And I think you should really sit down in your planning and say, these are the top things that I want to see when I go to a city and then be open for what you could happen. And Absolutely. maybe you don't get to all 10, you get to six, but you have these other three experiences that you didn't even plan for because you just never know. I think, again, talking to people allows for that. No, you should go to this restaurant. I know that you read about this and this is where all the tourists go, but how about that? So, and that ties into my second, I think indulge in the local cuisine, mm-hmm. especially when you're overseas where you're on a resort, you know, get off the resort and find where the locals eat and eat that. <laughs> and if people are stopping at roadside places, I mean, you need to be careful, but I think you need to experience the local flavor of a city and a country and not be so American and stay, you know, what's comfortable for us because the hotels are going to make it comfortable so that they're going to make money off of you. They're going to cook grits and eggs or whatever you eat, Mm -hmm. but go eat what the locals eat for um, breakfast. And the third thing that I like to do is have souvenirs. So it depends on where I'm at. It could be a piece of artwork, a piece of jewelry, or a beauty product. So I'm always looking for one of those when I travel so that the souvenir is not keychain, but really reflection of my trip. So I've gotten amazing artwork in certain countries that I've traveled. I've gotten amazing perfume in Paris. So that type of thing, wherever you are, really kind of pick out what that real souvenir would be from that experience. So and even even I've even done that in Miami or LA. I have things that I've purchased there that reflect my time in those cities. So whether it's international or you know, domestic, don't spend your money on the corny T-shirt that you're only going to wear to the gym or sleep in. (laughs) Spend your money on a really good souvenir. And I think artwork is always, always find an artist from where you are and pick something up. Yeah, so it's a travel memory, but it also fits into your lifestyle when you get back home. Right. I think, yeah, decide what that is. So those are my three, you know, a beauty product, art, or jewelry that I can say. But decide what it is rather than a a bunch of shot glasses, which you never (laughs) use. You know, since I'm moving, I just realized I had a bunch of shot glasses. And they just sit in your house and take up space or keychains, you know, stuff that you never really use. So I would say think about that for your travel. As well as pictures. So I kind of scale back on that, too. I like to take pictures with people I mean and really reflective photos rather than a picture of everything. Right. So Because all they do, pictures, keychains, shot glasses, all they do is collect dust in your house. Yeah, just take up space. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Tarshel, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate you, You're as welcome. always. For more information about Tarshel Beards, her blog, Onyx Beauty, Apple Vacation, Spotify, Vacation Music Playlist, or anything else you've heard on today's show, please visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. Until next time, tune into your own Full Body Frequency, where large is luscious living.